to be with you today. Uh, so Kevin mentioned, uh, so we've known each other quite a, quite a while, uh, way, 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 way back in the day. I pastored at a little church here in town, and, and there was one summer where we did a sermon series uh, in the month of July on Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, and, and on, and on, and on, and on. And so what we did is I actually brought four different people in uh, to, uh, to preach that month, uh, people who were living out Isaiah 61. And Kevin was one of those individuals. And, uh, and so it is. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it, that this is, this is kind of full circle. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, Kevin didn't mention, we also, uh, we also watch, we have spent a lot of time watching Little League Baseball together. Uh, so you can say that Kevin and I have toiled together uh, in, in life. And, um, and I just want to say, uh, I love your pastor. Uh, and one of the things that I love about your pastor is, is that he's the real deal. He's authentic. What you see on the platform, what you see out in the foyer, uh, what you see uh, out in the community, uh, what you see on the Little League field is you see the same person. Uh, and that means a lot. Um, and, uh, and so you guys have, you've got a good, a good leader. I didn't uh, think about this uh, until I was sitting in here during worship. I understand you guys have been uh, in this facility for about a year. And uh, I, I believe uh, that place matters. Uh, I believe that there's significance to place, and I, I didn't make the connection when I knew that I was going to be coming here to preach that this place actually has a significant role in my life. Uh, uh, when I was in high school, I attended a couple of services here. I never actually attended the church, and, and I couldn't even tell you what church was meeting in the building at the time, uh, but I, was, I attended a couple of services here because of a girl. Uh, I don't know what happened to that girl. That, that is not the girl in my life now. Uh, but it was in this place that in a service, uh, I had been saved as a child, but it was in this place that I, I experienced really uh, my first experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so this place has meaning to me. And so thank you for continuing just the, uh, the legacy of this place and, and this corner in our community uh, and being the, the light of the kingdom in this place. And so uh, I'm honored to be here today to share with you just a little bit about the Union Gospel Mission, and I'm sure that many of you have familiarity to the mission in our, here in our community. Uh, so as Kevin mentioned a couple of years ago, my family moved back from Whitefish, Montana, uh, really not knowing what God was inviting us into. God very clearly uh, uh, led us away from Whitefish and, and essentially just kind of made it clear that he had something new for us, but we didn't know what that was. Uh, we kind of threw a dart at the map, uh, trying to discern where do we want to go. Like we felt like we had a, a, an open slate. We decided to come back to Yakima predominantly because at the time my mom was really sick, and so it made sense to just come back and be close to mom and to be able to help out. Uh, and after coming back to Yakima and uh, being here for a few months, I got a call from a friend who who worked at the mission and uh, shared with me about a job that uh, that they had just posted and and heard that I was back in town and thought that this might be a good fit. And so I've been at the mission now for about two and a half years. My role has changed a little bit. Uh, and uh, my role now is I'm the director of recovery services. So uh, you'll hear a little bit about that, but we have a long-term residential recovery program for men and women. Uh, and, and I give some oversight and, and leadership to, uh, to those programs. And, and, and I will tell you that, it, that I have the greatest job in the world. Uh, I absolutely love what I do. It's not easy. It's extremely hard, but I've got the, I've got the greatest job uh, in the world. Uh, the Union Gospel Mission is the largest homeless shelter in Yakima County. We, on average, uh, house about 145 people, uh, people a night. 
Uh, Our mission is following Christ in helping people move from homelessness to wholeness. Uh, We are not simply looking to house people. We're not simply looking to uh, provide a meal, but uh, I would say that we're not just a homeless shelter, uh, but ultimately our mission is to move people out of homelessness and into a life of wholeness, or a phrase that I would use is holistic health. I believe that the salvation that Christ offers is not just a ticket that we get to punch so that someday we can go to heaven, but that Jesus is actually interested in all aspects of our life, our physical bodies, our finances, our emotions, our mental health, all of it. He wants to save all of that, and I believe that Jesus' salvation is a holistic salvation And so as a result, our mission is really we want to help people move to that place, uh, a place of of, uh, wholeness. And uh, and the way that we represent that, the way that we look at that is what we call the five-space model. And the five-space model is literally places, like physical spaces, that we want to help people move through, uh, ultimately to a place of wholeness. And all through that five-space model, the common thread through the five-space model is relationship. Uh, relationships of hope, relationships of love, relationships of grace and mercy. Uh, it's all baked in relationship. And, and I think that there's a, story, uh, there's a story in the Gospels that I think really gives us a good picture of this idea of moving from homelessness to wholeness and what can happen uh, when that happens. And, and I think that this, is, this story also really gives us a good picture of the five spaces. And so I want to use this story to kind of introduce the five space model to you and uh, the story is found in the Gospel of Mark uh, in chapter 5. So Jesus has been, has been teaching. He's been, he's been walking through a series of parables, and, and then he's been breaking away with his disciples to explain it to them because they weren't getting it. Uh, and in the course of that, all of a sudden, Jesus makes the statement, let's go to the other side of the lake. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. That's a, towards the end of chapter 4. Uh, and, and when Jesus says that, when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, the, other, the thing that we need to understand about the geography of that is that it was literally going to the other side of the tracks. Uh, so where Jesus lived and where his disciples were ministering at the time in the, in the town of Capernaum was on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. To go to the other side of the lake is to go to pagan territory. That is leaving Israel, that is leaving what is familiar, that is leaving what is safe and comfortable, going to the place that is pagan, that is Roman. Uh, It was like literally a place that is like as a good Jewish boy or girl, your parents would say, you don't go to the other side of the lake. You don't go to that place, right? And Jesus is saying, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's, Let's go to that place that you've been told you shouldn't go to. This is really, when we talk about the five space model, this is really space one. Uh, The way we articulate space one is that space one is the street. That's where we first engage people, uh, is is individuals who are living in street homelessness, whether they're they're down on Natchez Avenue, whether they're down at the river, whether they're behind a a store somewhere, regardless of where they're at, uh, that is the first place that we engage folks is, is in the street and begin to build relationship, begin to build connection. In many ways, we, we are refusing to wait for them to come to us, and instead we have chosen to go to them, to go find them, to go seek them out, uh, and, and to begin building relationships. So exactly what Jesus does in this story is he says, let's go there. Rather than waiting for them to come to us, let's go across the lake to the place that we're not supposed to go. Uh, so we have outreach that goes out seven days a week. Uh, we've got a team of people uh, that go out during the day, they go out late at night, but go out into our community looking for folks uh, and providing basic care, providing taking sandwiches to them, water in the winter, hot coffee, gloves, socks, things like that. Um, even providing medical care 
Uh, we had a great story about a year ago of some of our medical staff in our clinic, like literally wading through the river to go across the river to somebody who was in a tent that was uh, experiencing some frostbite. And like they literally went through the river to get to this person to provide medical care for them. Uh, and so uh, in outreach, uh, it's just a, is our way of just going across the lake uh, to where uh, we find people. And so that's space one uh, is, uh, in this story is where we see Jesus saying, let's go across the lake. But now I want to pick up uh, the story and read this story for you. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And my device is jumping all over the place. It wants me to be done because it jumped to the end. So we're going to scroll back to the top. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasene. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. Uh, so really quick, to help me out. What are some of the images that we see of this man? Like, how would you describe this man? Got to be louder. I just, uh, well, say that? Savage. I like that. I heard something over here. Rage? Is that what you said? Yeah. What else? Out of control, uh, like literally out of his mind, right? Uh, there's another gospel writer that says that he was naked. Uh, um, so what else? What else jumped out? Tormented. Tormented. Uh, he's probably bloody. He says he's been cutting himself. Uh, and so you've got all of these images of this guy um, that is like, like I think out of control, like really describes it, like he is totally out of control. His mind, his body, uh, everything, he's chained to the tombs. Uh, and, and, and if you've ever, if, if you've ever taken a journey and driven up North First Street, uh, we see this every single day, right? Uh, we see individuals who appear to be tormented out of their mind, uh, what we would call crazy, um, there's not a description that we see of this man that we do not see on North First Street, cutting themselves, uh, naked, uh, all of that. Uh, this is the image, uh, and this is what Jesus encounters. And when he saw Jesus, when this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is a fascinating statement here, by the way. Uh, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, if you, if you read the Gospel of Mark, the first eight or nine chapters of Mark are trying to answer one question. And the question that the Gospel writer is trying to answer is, who is Jesus? Uh, and early in the Gospel, the only people that get the question right are the demons. It's the only people that get the question. The, the disciples are confused about who Jesus is. Jesus' own family is confused about who he is. The crowd's confused. But the demons know exactly who he is. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. 
They gave them, he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been, had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. We said, just sang a song that talked about, I've, I've witnessed to the nations, I've witnessed to to my family. I, I, that's the first time I've ever heard that song. I loved it. Uh, it's exactly what Jesus says to do, to go and tell, to go and witness to the things that the Lord has done. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So we have this story about this guy that Jesus goes across the lake, and the very first person that Jesus encounters is this guy who, in every sense of the word, is a social outcast. Um, from a Jewish sense, he is an ultimate outcast. There, there's just a laundry list of things that actually makes him an, it makes him an outsider. It makes him unclean. Uh, so, he's, so he's cutting himself, so he's bloody. Uh, and, and we know from Levitical law that coming into contact with blood makes you unclean, meaning that you have to go through mikvah before you can return to synagogue or, or, or participate in the sacrificial system. Uh, he's naked. Uh, for Jews to be, to be seen naked and to see nakedness was extremely offensive. Uh, like in contrast to the Greek world where they celebrated that in the Jewish context, extremely offensive uh, to be seen or to see nakedness. Uh, and yet this is how Jesus finds this man. He's living among the tombs. Uh, what are in tombs? Dead people, Right? Uh, again, another thing that, that would make you unclean, that to come in contact with death uh, would make you unclean. This guy is literally the ultimate Jewish outcast in every sense of the word. He's also a Roman outcast. He's living on the edge of society. He's, he's been banished from his own community, his own family, his own people have pushed him to the edge of society uh, and they've chained him to the tombs because they want nothing to do with the guy. In, in every sense of the word, this guy is the ultimate outcast. And then we have the demons. The demons, when, when Jesus shows up and, and, and this guy approaches him, it's the demon that initially speaks uh, and, and, and acknowledges who Jesus is. Jesus, son of the most high God in God's name, don't torture me. And Jesus responds and he commands the spirit to come out. He commands the spirit to leave, but then Immediately after that, Jesus asks a question. Did you pick up the question? It's, it's, it's a profoundly significant question. What was the question? What's your name? What's your name? Jesus looks at this man, and, and perhaps for the first time in years, this man hears a question that looks past his demons, that looks past the the, the tormenting and the craziness and, and looks past the fact that he's out of his mind and looks at who he is and says, what's your name? 
I want to know who you are. Jesus takes a man that has been marginalized by every culture that's been tossed to the curb. He takes a man who has been defined by his demons. Can you relate to that at all? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like that when people looked at you, they defined you by your demons, by your brokenness, by your mistakes, by your whatever? We have a man here who has been defined by his demons, and Jesus looks at him and wants to know who he is. With this question, Jesus begins to restore identity. He begins to speak identity into him, which is exactly what happens when a life intersects the kingdom of God, uh, is that Jesus reshapes identity. This happened even in Jesus' life. Even in Jesus' life, before Jesus began his ministry, the most important thing for the Father to do in Jesus' life was to remind him who he was. Before Jesus, before Jesus begins his ministry, before he even goes into the wilderness, he's baptized. And you remember what God spoke over Jesus before he's done anything. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't done a thing and before Jesus begins his ministry, the way that his father like, like commissions him for ministry is by reminding him of who he is. He speaks to his identity. And when Jesus is baptized and comes up out of the water, his father speaks and says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Before anything else, more important than anything else, Jesus, you are my son. And Jesus, just like his father did with him, Jesus begins to restore identity by simply asking a little question. This is what I would, would say is, is in many ways like space two for us. Uh, space two is the physical space of our adult shelter. So we, we have an adult emergency shelter uh, where men and women can come and, 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 and get housing overnight, can get a bed, can get three meals a day, can get a shower, uh, and, and, and all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we have a low barrier shelter, meaning that as long as you can be safe, uh, and as long as you uh, do not bring stuff onto our campus that does not need to be on our campus, then you're welcome here, uh, and, and we will serve you. Uh, there's really very little requirement, and, uh, and that's the place where, in, in many ways, we really want to begin building that relationship, getting to know someone, knowing their name, beginning to learn who they are, beginning to learn their story, beginning to understand the person, uh, not by their demons, not by, not, 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 not by uh, what we see on the street, not by even what we see in how they're dressed or in the way they look, but really beginning to understand who this individual is so that, so that we can slowly begin building relationships of trust that they would know that they are loved, that they would know that they are cared for, uh, in the hopes that because they know they're loved and cared for, that they would have the courage to take the next step to move into space three, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but space two is really about that. I, I think it could be defined by the question that Jesus asks this man, what is your name? But it's the demon that responds. And the demon responds and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, there's, I wish we had time to unpack this. There, there's actually all sorts of political undertones here. 
Uh, legion is a military term. Uh, uh, Roman, uh, Roman legion was a legion, a, a large group of soldiers. Uh, the legion that occupied this area at the time was the 10th legion of Rome. Um, every legion uh, in Rome had, had a symbol uh, that, was, that, that characterized their legion, and it would be on their shields, and they would carry things with this symbol on it. Uh, any guesses what the symbol of the 10th legion of Rome was? Any guesses? It was a boar, a pig, uh, which might come up later in the story. Uh, there's all sorts of political things, political undertones that are happening uh, in this story. Uh, and, and, the, and the legion asked Jesus, begs Jesus, don't send us out of the area. Uh, in fact, will you just send us into that herd of pigs? And so Jesus uh, grants the request and, and the demons go into a herd of pigs and, and, and then run and take a swan dive off of a cliff into the lake and it kills the pigs, which we can imagine 2,000 pigs would be a significant hit to the economy. It would be a significant hit to just that local community. Uh, another thing is, again, this is another image of, of unclean. And in the Levitical law, pigs were unclean. And, uh, and so we still have some of those undertones that are happening here. And as a result, when the pigs take the swan dive off of the, off of the cliff, immediately the people tending the pigs go, they run to the town and say, dear God, all of the pigs are dead. They're gone. And so the people come running to find out what happened. And this is kind of the turning point in the story. This is this is where transformation happens. And, and, and this is where we talk about space three. They, the, the people came and they found the man. And I love, this is one of my most favorite, favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, is that when the people came, they found the man sitting down, clothed and in his right mind. Like, like if there's not a scripture that sums up the gospel better than that one. He's sitting down, maybe for the first time, in years. Here you have this guy who was freaking out, chained to tombs, out of his mind, tormented, savage, all of those images. And now he's sitting down. He's calm. He's settled. He's clothed. Jesus has restored his dignity. Jesus has covered his shame. He's clothed and he's in his right mind. He's settled. He's thinking clearly. He's in his right mind. That's the gospel, my friends. That's the kind of transformation that Jesus wants to bring to the lives of every single person. This is what we would refer to as space three. Space three we define as change. And and there's actually some physical spaces at the mission where, uh, where this happens. Uh, and this is our program space. Uh, when, as it, when people are in the adult shelter and as we begin to build relationships with them and begin to um, just encourage and invite them to think about the possibility of something different, the possibility of change, uh, when a person decides to take that step, decides to risk it, decides to have the courage to, to make an attempt to... To, to change, uh, we have an opportunity for them to come and to join a long-term program. Uh, so we have, we have a, a residential program that's 12 to 18 months long. There's three phases of it, discovery, new life, bridge. I don't have time to unpack all of that for you, but discovery is a 30 to 45-day program where, where people are able to stabilize, to have a sense of safety, 
uh, and, and just to kind of get settled uh, before they move into new life, which is really our recovery space. New life is where we do a lot of the heavy lifting in regards to, uh, in regards to recovery and, and through, through a variety of different tools, really going back and, and learning the story. One of the, things that, one of the things about this story in the scripture that I wish we had is I wish we had the backstory, right? I wish we had the backstory of this man who was chained to the tombs. Like what led to him getting there? Uh, what led to this moment where he's crazy and out of his mind and demon-possessed and all of those, all of those things? Uh, because here's what I will tell you, is that every single person has a story. Every single person has a story, and, uh, and, and some of those stories are beautiful, and they're, and they're, and they're challenging, and they're, full of, they're full of beauty and sorrow and, and grief and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and part of what we do in New Life is we unpack those stories, and and even try to help reframe them and go through processes of restoration and forgiveness and repentance and, and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, and really believing that what we're after is, and, and here's, what I, here's what I tell our folks all the time, our, our goal in recovery is not sobriety. Um, sobriety is a byproduct of our goal. Our, our goal is redemption, to be redeemed back to the person that God created us to be, uh, that, that person that is at the core of who we are, at the core of who we are is the fingerprint of God. And so returning to that place, rediscovering that, that person that God created, created us to be. Uh, and then Bridge is, is the third phase of program where we, where we start, start looking at the next steps of moving out and moving on, uh, looking at employment and education and housing and, and, all, of that, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, so this is really what we call our change space. This is where we see transformation happen, where, 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 and, and really it is, it's the work of Jesus. It's the work of Christ, um, as we see in this story. Here's what I'll tell you. We kind of get this sense in this story that, that, that this guy's transformation was like that. Um, I wish that all stories were like that. Uh, I wish it happened like that all the time. Uh, but, but it does happen. Change does happen. And, uh, and we see it in the life of this man and as a result, naturally, this man turns and asks Jesus a question. Jesus and his disciples are getting back into the boat. The townspeople are frustrated with him. They want Jesus to leave. Isn't it fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that the townspeople come and they see this life completely transformed, and yet their response is they're afraid? This man who was, they were more afraid of the man sitting down, clothed and in his right mind than they were the man that was chained to the tomb. And I think part of the reason is because now all of their pigs are gone. And, and, and they've seen something that they don't understand. And, and we understand that over there. We understand the guy chained to the tomb. We don't understand what happened here. And they were afraid. And so Jesus and his disciples begin to load up back in the boat, and they're going to head back to the other side of the lake. And naturally, what does this guy want to do? What did he ask Jesus? Can I go with you? <laughs> like, right? Like, these people have rejected me. These people don't want anything to do with me. These people chained me to the tombs, and I'm pretty sure that these people aren't going to like me a whole lot because I'm kind of the reason why all their pigs are dead. Can I go with you? And what's Jesus tell him? Jesus says, nope. I want you to go back home, and I want you to tell the story. I want you to tell the story of what the Lord has done for you. How has the Lord shown you mercy? Jesus sends him back. Uh, and and this, really, uh, this really is space four. 
So space four is what we call marketplace. We call market. Uh, it's the space where, where, we, where we help our folks begin to re-engage their community through employment, through housing, through, through a variety of different things, uh, but where people begin to return to the community. One of the things that was very much, and Kevin will remember this, one of the things that was very much a part of the culture of the mission for a long time was that when folks would go through our program, once they finished our program, they would just set up camp and, and, and live at the mission. Uh, and, and they just became what we call live-in volunteers. Uh, and we had people that literally had lived at the mission for 20 years. Uh, and here's what I'll tell you. That is not wholeness. That's not wholeness. Um, like we are doing a disservice uh, if, if that's what we end up doing. Uh, and so just like Jesus said to this man, nope, you need to go back to your community. You need to go back to your family. You need to go back and tell what the Lord has done. Like ultimately our goal for, for our folks, for our guests is, is to go. Return to your community, to return to, your, to wherever it is you need to return to. Re-engage the marketplace, re-engage community, re-engage your family. Uh, and and some, of that, some of that we do through the change space of beginning to restore relationships, beginning to uh, restore connection. We have somebody in our men's program uh, that when he came into Discovery, one of the first things he did is he, he began reconnecting with his daughters. And, uh, and, and slowly kind of started beginning to re-engage those conversations and, and those relationships. And then he moved into new life and, and continued to connect with his daughters. And, and ultimately got to the point that his daughter said, we want you home, dad. Like we like this version of dad uh, and we want you to come home. And, and so literally just about a week and a half ago, uh, he, we were able to, and he did a lot of the work, but we were able to set up for him to transfer to another mission because he knew he wasn't done. Like he knew he still had work to do. Uh, so so he, we, he transferred to a different mission in, in Oklahoma so that he could be close to his daughters to begin re-engaging that relationship. That's that force space of, of reconnecting with the community. And that's exactly what Jesus does is he sends this man uh, to, to go, to go back to the place that maybe wasn't perceived to be the safest, but to go back and and, uh, and to re-engage. Let me say that this is why, this is why churches like yours are so, so important uh, uh, in the life of our folks, is that we need safe churches um, for our folks to connect to. Um, we need safe mentors to engage with our folks, to build relationship. We have people that volunteer that come, that come in every week to teach classes, to meet one-on-one -on -one with, to, to just build relationships with our folks because ultimately that's the connection to, the, to, to outside of the mission. Um, part of the purpose or part of uh, uh, the structure of, of our programs is, is that you have to attend church. You, you need to go to church. And one of the, there's, there's two reasons for that. Um, one, uh, because we know, that, we know that healthy community is one of the keys to lasting recovery. Uh, the, the, the data is off the charts of the number, the, the number of people that remain engaged in a, in a local church, their percentage of success and recovery is just astronomically higher than, than for those that are not engaged in a local church. Uh, and it's because of relationships with people like you, because of authentic relationships. Uh, um, another reason that, that connecting to a local church uh, a local church is so important is because it, it means that if, when, as people engage a local church, when the day comes that it's time to leave the mission, they already have a support network outside of the mission. 
Um, that was one of the challenges when we tried to, you know, here a few years ago, try to move some people along uh, that had lived at the mission for so long, is that the only relationships in the world that they had that were safe and healthy were at the mission. And everything outside of the mission was unknown and scary. Uh, and so churches are a place where, where the, those kind of relationships can happen, and they're so, so important. Uh, the story ends like this. Uh, so the man went away. He, he obeyed Jesus. He went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Um, the, the man does exactly what Jesus instructed him to do. He went and he told a story. And, and, it, and it appears like the story kind of ends there. It looks like the story kind of just comes to an abrupt stop there, but it actually doesn't. This is the last time we hear about this man. We have no clue what happens to this man in the long run. It's the last time we hear about the man, but, but it is not the end of this story. See, if you read just a couple of chapters later, Jesus goes back to the Decapolis. And when Jesus goes back to the Decapolis, he is met by crowds of people bringing their sick and their, and their unhealthy relatives to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal them. And it's in that story, it's right after that, that in the Decapolis, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. The first time Jesus went to the Decapolis, he was met by one person, a demon-possessed man that was chained to the tombs. The next time that Jesus went to the Decapolis, he was met by thousands coming and begging to be healed, and Jesus fed 4,000 people and I have to believe that it's because this man went and told his story. I have to believe that it's because this man went and he, told, he did exactly what Jesus did and he went and told the story of how Jesus has had mercy on him, how Jesus showed mercy to him. And as he told the story, that story spread. So the next time Jesus shows up on the scene, everybody's coming, everybody's showing up saying, Jesus, heal me, heal my aunt, heal my daughter, heal my whoever, because that man went and did exactly what Jesus told him to do. The word has spread and people are ready to re-engage. Uh, people are ready to come and, and, to, and to experience what this man had experienced himself. And this is what I would call space five. Space five is what we call equity. It's where not only has a person re-engaged their community, um, but they have become a part of their community and they're, actually, and, they're, and they're actually an asset to their community. It's things like home ownership and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, the way I would define Space 5 is this. It's when a person moves from being a liability to our community to becoming an asset to our community. Uh, it's the place where they have become whole, where they are well, where they're in the place that this guy was um, that is our goal. That is our desire. That is what we long to see happen uh, at YUGM. So I want to ask you three questions as, as I wrap this up. And the first question is this, is what's the other side of the lake that Jesus may be inviting you to? What's your other side of the lake? Here, here's what I will tell you. Any gospel that does not include the other side of the lake, any gospel that doesn't call us away from what is comfortable, what is safe, what is familiar, is not the gospel of Christ. The, the gospel of Jesus is a gospel that takes us to the places that are like the other side of the lake. So what's your other side of the lake? Maybe it's just simply your neighbor. 
Maybe it's just simply the person who lives next door to you that, that, that God is inviting you and compelling you to begin building relationship with by simply maybe just starting by asking, what's your name? Maybe the other side of the lake is the school that's in your neighborhood. Maybe the other side of the lake is that family member that you've been at odds with and, and, and Jesus may be inviting you to go to the other side of the lake and re-engage that relationship. Uh, maybe the other side of the lake is going to a place like the mission and saying, how can I help? How can I volunteer? Um, maybe the other side of the lake is going to a place like the mission uh, and saying, maybe God's calling me to, to work at a place like this. Maybe I need to give my life to something like this. What's your other side of the lake that Jesus is inviting you to? Uh, the second question I would ask you is, in what ways has God shown you mercy? We sang this morning about witnessing to the things that God has done. Uh, this guy had a pretty profound moment where he got to go and he got to like he got to tell people like, man, I was bloody, I was naked, I was out of my mind, I, I, I was all of these things and this guy showed up and he restored me, he healed me. He, all of a sudden I was sitting down and I was clothed and I was, in my, I was thinking clearly, what's your story? How has the Lord shown mercy to you? Uh, you know, I think sometimes, especially, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus when I was four years old. Uh, I've probably been to church on Sunday mornings 97% of my life. Like, I, like, like, I've lived this life my entire life. And you know, sometimes it's really easy to just get stuck in the motions. To just get stuck in the whatever. And there are times that I need to stop and I need to remind myself of the ways that the Lord has shown me mercy of the things that God has done in my story, in my life, the profound things, the way that he's looked past my demons and shown me mercy. How has God shown you mercy today? And then my last question for you, um, and maybe this kind of ties in even to question number one, but my last question for you is what does it look like for you to go home and to share how the Lord has shown you mercy. This, Jesus sent this man home. Go back to your community and tell how the Lord has shown you mercy. What does it look like for you to go and to tell that story of how God has sh shown you mercy, of how God has, has taken in whatever way that you were chained to the tombs and whatever way you were out of your mind and whatever way that you were the naked and broken and, and whatever, what does it mean for you to go and share that story? And, and maybe the question you need to just ask Jesus today is who today needs to hear that story? Who in my life needs to hear the story of how the Lord has shown me mercy? Will you pray with me?